Okay, guys, the next piece is summation. And uh, please understand that what you've seen me do is let you know that the prosecution and the defense are not on two separate teams. Prosecution and defense are two halves of one whole, working their way, pushing themselves, each other, deeper and deeper into faith from level number one to level number two to level number three. So really, the deliberation, I asked you during lunch to discuss what you heard. I must say, and I've said this every class I've given to you guys, that your class begins where my class ends. I have spent weeks and weeks working on this, redoing it, studying, looking up. I'm standing here today telling you what's been cooking in me for quite a while. It isn't fair to expect that what took me literally weeks to work and fight and argue and agree and this and digest and come to terms and not come to terms and then expect in uh, an hour and a half for you guys to walk away with understanding a moon of level number one, level number two, level number three from this perspective of the linear light, the circular light and the essence. So guys, I'm gonna be very blunt. If the last time you think about this topic is when this mic goes off, you've wasted my time. Really, you need to battle with it. You need to find in which areas of your life the linear will work. Just simple. It's not that tragic. It's just cause and effect. And that's okay. And I can try to change my cause and watch the effect change. You're gonna need to decide where in your life it's not cause and effect on the linear level. You really need to really be able to honestly put a finger and say, this isn't God talking to me about yesterday. This is God talking to me about tomorrow. Thy will shall be done. I want to be exactly where you want me to be, where you want me to be, when you want me to be, and how you want me to be. In conversation with someone just now, I use these words. In a moment of poverty, to be able to tell God, in the circular world, as long as I'm with you, it's okay. And if for whatever period of time you want me to be with you and serve you through poverty, God forbid, then so be it. Because to me, it's all about serving you. And if it's about poverty or wealth, I'm okay with it. And when you leave go and you enter into the circular, you realize that in the world of the circular, the top and the bottom are not top and bottom. They coexist. The switch from poverty into wealth is in the circular in a second. But to enter into the circular, you need to leave go of, well, I'm willing to be a good Jew if you make me rich, happy, famous, beautiful. But if I'm struggling, then what do I need this for? Well, then you're in the linear. If you're in the linear, then don't expect to connect with God in the circular. And then there's the, I don't even know how to talk about this, but then there's the essence. And I'm going to just share with you something that I spoke to Aaron a moment ago because um, whatever, I went through my own emotions when I spoke to you about the essence. But I want to share with you something. You know, there's a time when you tell someone that you really love that, listen, what I'm about to do is not really what I should be doing. And I just don't want you to see me that way. I don't want you to be with me there. And... I know I hope one day to be able to overcome this, but right now, 
do us both a favor, walk away. You don't need to see this. And then understand what happens when the person that you love tells you, uh-uh, I'm not. You go there, I'm going there with you. So if you don't want me there, there's only one way. Just don't go there. Think about now the way the Rebbe spoke about exile. You know, many of us, as sadly as we're going to say this, and not going to say many of us, let's be a little bit more realistic, all of us on some level, are very happy in exile. We're kind of afraid of Mashiach. You know, it's like the guy who's up for parole. He doesn't really want to be set free from prison because he's become so accustomed to prison. He's worked his way up the ranks. He's worked it out to perfection. So at this point, <laughs> I'm not sure I want to be free from my prison. I know how to live with my hell. And maybe your heaven is unbearable, but my hell, it's what I have, and I'm okay with it. And then you ask yourself, but one second, <laughs> God's there with me in my tears, God's there with me in my hell, God's there with me in my filth. I really love God. I don't want God to be there. So as much as I want God next to me, I just want to tell God, please God, you, you don't really, you don't want to be with me right now. And then you hear God tell you, uh-uh, I'm coming with you. So if you don't want me there, don't go there. You now understand why the Rebbe cried over exile? The Rebbe's crying over exile was, Hashem, I don't want you here. You don't belong here. You're too good. And God's saying, as long as you're there, I'm there with you. You understand now what's going on here? There's such two dimensions to that essence level. There's the one unfathomable essence le level which says, God, if you're in the gas chamber, then I'm okay being in the gas chamber because all I want is to be with you. And then there's another level that says, God, you don't belong in the gas chamber. And God says, well, then you're going to have to get out because where you go, I go. So there's a lot of power into that third level and I'm going to leave it up to your beautiful minds and hearts to work it out. Now closing. In closing, and I will be very brief with my closing because the more important part of this is not my summation. It's actually your questions and answers. I told you. It's where the class becomes yours and not mine. So let's just go through one closing thought. God sent Moses. It's built on a sikh of the Rebbe, blessed memory, and Pasha's Ve'era. God sent Moses to Egypt. My kids have suffered enough. Go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, God said, let my people go. What happens? Gets worse. All of a sudden, Pharaoh isn't even providing the necessities to do their job. Now, I just want to put this in perspective. I'm not here to make your stomach turn anymore. It's enough for today. But just understand, this wasn't an issue of hard work. Please just bear in mind a little detail. If they didn't finish their quota, their babies were used as bricks. So this wasn't about double the workload. This was Holocaust. Moses turns around and has a discussion with God. You sent me to Pharaoh to make it good for the Jews. Not only didn't it become good, not only didn't it become status quo, it got worse than ever before. What does God answer Moses? Our sages say, He answered Moses, Chaval al da'avdin de lo 
Woe to those who are gone and not to be found. Who is he talking about? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's talk about the first interaction that we know about in the Torah God has with Abraham. And God told Abraham, Lech lecha, go. Go away from your land. Go away from your family. Go away from everything you know. Travel to a distant land, Israel. Abraham says, okay. And what does God tell him? Lech lecha, go for your sake. I'll make you famous. I'll give you wealth. And I will give you children. Abraham leaves home, leaves everything, which just wasn't just a physical test. It was a spiritual test. Because Abraham was the representation of monotheism and the beauty of religion. Now understand what people are saying. Oh, that's so sweet of him. Leave your old man by himself. What are you going to do? Dump him in some old age home? Not even visit him? Not even send him a birthday card? So it was a spiritual test too. But Abraham says, thy will shall be done, not mine. And what does Abraham do? He travels to Israel. What happens when he comes to Israel? There's a famine. Who sends famines? God. So Abraham says, whoa, whoa, what happens here? God, you told me to desecrate everything I believe in, which is to show people I have to take care of your parents and all that good stuff, and you ask me to give everything away, travel to the land of Israel, and I get here, and I have no choice but to pack my bags and go? That's what Abraham should have done, right? Kind of what Moses did. Abraham doesn't make a boo, peep, nada. Just tells his wife, Sarah, honey, pack up. We're moving again. The God who told me to come here, obviously through his laws of nature, is telling me, leave. And he heads to Egypt. In Egypt, it's not a bed of roses. His wife is taken away from him and the whole story. So God's telling Moses, whoa, what happened to the old voice, the old guard? Abraham didn't say boo to me. You, the first mission, the first mission I sent you on, you don't figure it out and you're already pointing fingers? That's how you learn simple pshat and what the sages say. God was bemoaning that it ain't the way it used to be. The Rebbe has a whole different approach. The Rebbe says that actually God was complimenting Moses. God was telling Moses, you're right, my son. It used to be all about faith. I don't want that no more. I want you to intellectually engage. You see, what happens is that if all God allows us to connect with him is through faith, then what do we have? My mind doesn't belong to God, so my heart doesn't belong to God. My thoughts, speech, and actions don't belong to God because anytime. I turn to God, all I have to offer him is this abstract, infinite, circular faith. God told Moses, way to go, boy. That's exactly what I expected from you. That's exactly what I want from you. I don't want you to yes me to death. I don't want you to amen me to death. I want you to understand. So not only I can fit into your infinite heart, I want to also fit into those three finite lobes of your brain. And I want it to travel down the spine into your heart. I want you to externally love me because you understand me, not just because you believe in me. I want you to hand over your thought process, your speech process, 
and your patterns of action. I want every piece of you, not just your infinite inner heart. I want your finite mind. I want your finite heart, external heart. I want your finite body. That's what I want from you. And if all you're going to do is yes me to death and not ask questions, then it won't work. A very interesting twist from our Deborah. But let me pose one final question to you. If God wants our mind and our heart, let's talk about relationships. And by the way, those of you who have ever spoken to me about relationships know that I'm not into the love scene. I'm not into open up your heart, let them in, and you know, take a chance. And if you get hurt, eh, move on. No. I've asked each and every one of you who've ever spoken to me, make people earn, earn your trust. Make them earn your heart. Make them earn your love. Don't just decide, you know something? I gotta be pure, I gotta be open, I'm gonna trust, I'm gonna like the secret, I'm gonna send it out there. And then if they mess it up, well, shame on them. Don't do that. Be logical. Be logical. Begin a relationship on an intellectual level. Does it make sense for me to be involved with you? Yes or no? If the answer is no, I don't care about the movie Jungle Fever where we have to overcome all differences. No. We need to make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, don't do it. It's not about, oh, if only the world, the world doesn't. Come to terms with it. Be logical, be practical. No, you're not marrying the individual, you're marrying the family. And if your future mother-in-law doesn't like you, I don't think you should pursue this anymore because she will make your life miserable. It's that logical. Relationships need to make sense. So don't you think we should have had Moses before we had Abraham? Shouldn't we first have been questioning God? Shouldn't we first have been asking, what do you mean God? <laughs> what, what, what leave my house? Why should I leave my house? Let's talk about this, God. Have you earned the right to ask me for sacrifices? So logically speaking, when the Rebbe presents to us that there needs to be faith and intellect, I'm presenting to you a question. It seems to be backwards. History should be rewritten in a proper fashion. First, we dated God. He proved himself to us. We proved ourselves to him. And then we entered into unconditional love, unconditional faith. Why the forefathers before Moses? And the answer is because that's the way we are programmed. When it comes to God, the first thing we have inherited from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the essence of our soul. The first thing we have is the genetic oneness with God. God is us and we are God. Na'aseh. The first thing we need to know is, and I mentioned this to you before briefly, there is no Jewish story in which we don't already know the end. We know the end. We just don't know how we're going to get there. The end is that God and the Jew is one, and the Jew and God is one, and all the other nations who have persecuted us have been and are today part of history. We are, we were, and we will be. That's just a fact. Logical? No. Because it doesn't begin with logic. It begins with genetic. You see, I spoke to you about relationships. 
But let me introduce you another relationship, parent-child. Does the parent look at the child and say, mm, I'm not sure I want to be your child. Let's, you know, try this out for a couple of years. Does the parent tell the child, you? That's what I went through nine months for? No. It isn't on a trial basis. It doesn't make sense because it's genetic. So first we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. First we have faith. But then understand faith isn't enough. Not what God wants. God wants faith to then go to Moses. Moses, I want you to internalize faith. I want you to give the Jews the Torah in which their brains can actually digest level number one, level number two, and level number three. Because then we are truly one. Then I live in their most realistic worlds, their wardrobe, their kitchen, their bedroom, their office. They belong to me and I belong to them. So guys, it's all about internalizing. God on trial is a beautiful, beautiful situation. It's where I tell God, oh, I believe in you. But you want more than that. If you want my mind and heart, we need to go through this journey together. God has no problems. God loves it. That's what it's all about. So guys, I'm now going to close off my piece and present to you your opportunity to internalize it. The more important part of this whole program. Q&A, guys. Let's go. Go ahead. <laughs> so the question is, life is about tests. Until when? A beautiful question indeed. Let me, let, me, let me give you the answer. Let me not worry about political correctness. Loretta, is Mashiach here? Then we haven't reached the essence. So the olive still needs to be crushed. We're not stopping halfway through. You have children. You didn't decide in the middle of contractions, no, 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 forget it, I want out. We're going to go until the end. God is not giving up on us, and we're not giving up on him. <coughs> we're going to be tested until we're willing to leave go of the external, leave go of the internal, touch essence, and then bring it back to the internal and back into the external. That's where it's going to be. You and I are one day going to feel what the holy priest in the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, we're one day going to fe feel that by our Shabbos meal eating fish. The essence in the external. That's what it's all about. So that God is the creator, the 
years, I've gotten them by lots of people. <coughs> and that's really the people with free will to then work it out and live however. But at the same time, God gives an active role in the world because of cause and effect and some of our actions and doing what we find them. Um, to that extent, free will still works. Where I'm having a new challenge is that the bad are the bigger picture of reasons for trouble and refinement. So right now we're experiencing something on an individual or collective level that is very difficult. But I understand that God has some kind of bigger plan for the future and we're getting to a place. And where is actually my free will? Because at the end of the day, I can't actually make a choice that's going to put God's plan the refinement backwards. Because God is pushing the world to get to the state that he's already planned it to be. And so I don't have honest choice because the choice is presented before me won't allow me to go in the opposite direction of where God is. Won't allow me to take the world in the opposite direction that God wants it to go. And so Beautiful question. Free will. If we're heading to a destiny, if we're heading to a destiny anyway, then where's free will? I just put it in short, but yeah. So I'm going to give you the practical answer, just that in time of need, you're not going to have time to sit down and think over any deep philosophical things. You need something quick and short. So I'm going to give you something quick and short, and then I'm going to give you a different insight. Quick and short of it, not depth, not logical, just plain and simple. I had a teacher who once told me, I've shared this with you guys before, the, the ultimate question of freedom of choice and divine providence breaks down into one simple sentence. Foresight, freedom of choice, hindsight, divine providence. Before you do it, you are in absolute free control to decide what you're going to do, regardless of what destiny God has in mind. And you know that, and you feel it. I can now decide to do or not to do. Hindsight is always about destiny. Hindsight is divine providence. Hindsight is not something you should want to commit suicide. I can't believe I did that. And hindsight is not something you should walk around telling the whole world, look what I did. It's divine providence. So, in short, when you're in a moment where the Yetzirah is sneaking up on you and he's using this question not to help your growth but to get you to question whether you do or don't want to do what you're supposed to do right now or whether you do or don't are not going to do what you're not supposed to, just give you the one-line answer. You have all beautiful questions. Practically speaking, I will right now choose whether I'm doing this or not. And when he's bugging you about how can you ever overcome what you did yesterday, just tell him, listen, beautiful questions. It's true. Quote me in Maimonides, principles of faith, everything. Bottom line, if it happened, then regardless of I chose it to happen, it was meant to happen. That's the high and low of it. I'm just putting this in your pocket. It's the mini form to answer Yitzhahara when he's either bringing you guilt and shame of yesterday or he's trying to stop you from thinking that you're possible to make it today and tomorrow. Okay? With that being said, there is huge amount of teachings 
about this. Rambam, Raivit, almost every, every Jewish thinker from the centuries have questioned this question. And a lot of it is based on a verse, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. How can he do that? If he did harden his heart, how can he, how can he uh, punish him or reward him? Nothing makes sense once you do that. I want to just tell you something. Everything is divine providence. I could give you a Kabbalistic approach, but I want to just give you something that someone told me just this Shabbat. We had a guest here. Scientists are trying to come up with the one unified answer of how it works. So you have relativity, you have mass, you have, and then you have this is wrong. And we went from Newton to da da da. It goes on and on. Today, they're interesting. They they're they're discussing. Hacker, his name is the name Hacker, the scientist. The, anyway, they're discussing that there are billions of parallel laws between universes. And the guy tells me this, and he says, what this means to me is pretty much that Hashem wrote a program that any choice you make is part of the program. It's not a question where you're going, it's a question how you're going to get there. Now, let's bring it to a simple statement in the Talmud. The Talmud says that Jacob was going down to Egypt because God made a covenant with Abraham that your children will be slaves in a foreign land for four generations. And a fifth generation, I will return them, the fourth generation, I will bring them back home. The Talmud just says Jacob had one choice. Is he going in shackles or is he going in the royal coach? So Jacob was going to Egypt. It's the plan. But how? What's going to be the experience? I told you this before. The Jewish story is written. The first paragraph we write is the closing paragraph. And now God gives you the middle section. God creates you. God writes the closing paragraph. And now you write your story. Is Jacob going to be dragged down in shackles like a prisoner, the way the Jews were taken into exile by Nebuchadnezzar? Or was he going to go as the father of the viceroy? That would depend on his choices. King Solomon had an effect on the world. The queen and her whole nation came to him to learn and convert. The same Talmud says that the Jewish people were sent into exile to pick up the converts that were meant to convert. See? Same end. Two different stories. It was choices they made. So what's going to happen in your life at the end of the day? The last paragraph has been written. Your destiny is your destiny. How are you going to get there? How are you going to experience it? Are you go screaming, dragging with your little feet in the ground, screaming, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. Tell you another story. Fifth about Shereba told one of his chassidim who was involved in precious gems. He went and he told him, you know, I just heard that they're making train tracks to, uh, to Siberia. I think you should get involved. It would be a good business. Of course, the chassid has all intentions to listen to his Rebbe. But what happens is that he left and he got involved with his business. He totally forgot that the fifth batch Rebbe told him that they're building train tracks and you probably should get involved in the business. Anyway, fast forward. He was arrested together with all the other chassidim for running their underground mikveh and their underground cheder and having a shochet and all the Jewish stuff. They were arrested by communist regime and sent to Siberia. And all of a sudden he turned around to his friend. He said, oh my God. The Rebbe knew that my soul had to be in Siberia. He offered me 
to go like a king and make money off of it. How foolish I was. I'm here, but not the way he wanted to send me. Every step of life is that way. If I were to tell you, even in foresight, even in foresight, Allison, the closing paragraph of your story has been written. The opening paragraph of your story you had no choice in. You were born exactly who you are to who you were born. But from paragraph number one until the closing paragraph, freedom of choice, foresight, divine providence, hindsight. If you found yourself just now writing a paragraph in your diary of life, your story that wasn't something you would have wished to go through, don't waste your time over shame and guilt. Because if it happened, it was meant to happen. But you didn't write the next paragraph yet. Make your choice wisely. Okay? Anyone else? Question, answers? Okay. God bless you guys. By the way, the next movie we'll be talking about is The Lion King.